going to go into our message. If you, again, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. The bottom line story of Christmas is a story of how God sent his love through his son, Jesus, in order to save our souls from an eternity of separation from him. And, and, and so today, it just won't be the traditional Christmas message, but a message that God wants, I believe, us, for us to hear and to apply to our lives on a daily basis. Because without the birth of Christ, we don't get the death of Christ. We don't get the burial of Christ. And we don't get the resurrection of Christ, which means we don't receive salvation. Nor do we receive the message and the good news that is beneficial for our lives. So it is my hope today that you can receive such a message that just might not be the traditional Christmas message. But um, throughout my childhood, my parents uh, made sure that we always had one of two things in our cupboard or our refrigerator. And that was castor oil or cod liver oil. Anybody had to go through that kind of nonsense growing up? Yes. Ugh. So, so why, I had no idea at the time. I, you know, all, I, all I know is that every once in a while, my brothers and sisters and, and I had to line up and, and take a spoonful of either one of these things. And you know, to this day, I assume that it had some type of health benefit of some sort. I figured they just weren't just doing it for no reason, but <laughs> I, I suppose it was to prevent us from getting sick, but, but still not 100% sure. So, you know, so I, and, and even today, I'm not interested in doing the research, um, you know, because I'm, I don't plan on having, you know, anything to do with that uh, castor oil or cod liver oil anytime in the near future. So one thing I, I mostly remember about castor oil and cod liver oil is that it, it was one of the most disgusting spoonfuls of liquid I'd ever tasted in my life. And so <laughs> the castor oil, you know, it was, it was left in the cupboard. So it was room temperature and kind of thick. So um, it was very difficult to get down. And uh, I, I do remember the bottle getting warmed up in hot water before we had to take it. So it thinned it out, but not very helpful as far as the taste. But, and I remember the, cast, the cod liver oil was put in the refrigerator. Uh, so it was cold, a little bit easier to get down, but still very horrible tasting stuff. So uh, that, that, that being said, even though it tasted horrible, I knew that it was supposed to be good for me. You know, even though I, I dreaded uh, the day that I would be called into the kitchen to swallow a spoonful, I knew deep down that it was benefiting me and it was contributing to my overall well-being. And, and the only way for my brothers and sisters and me to have uh, uh, success in getting this stuff down our throats was to, to chase it down with something. So I remember oranges seemed to work well. And if we had some type of fruit nearby, we'd take that, you know, um, and, and probably, you know, we tried to find a healthy alternative. And however, if we didn't have that, we'd have actually take some sugar with it, uh, which was always helpful. So... Uh, so, so we could successfully consume something that was supposed to be good for us. I, I have faith that it was good for us. But this, this memory reminds me of another story I heard regarding Disney. And uh, in 1964, Walt Disney introduced a musical called Mary Poppins, right? And, 
in this musical, Julie Andrews, who played the part of Mary Poppins, uh, sung this song to her kids in an effort to make cleaning their rooms more fun. However, before Julie Andrews committed to play the part of Mary Poppins, she suggested that something be done about the song. And uh, the original song was called The Eyes of Love, but Julie thought that the song didn't have enough pop to it, so it wasn't catchy enough. So uh, Walt Disney went to the writers and had them try to create something better than what they had. And one of the writers, as he went home that evening, he remembered that one of his children, he took some medicine that day and asked him about it. And he said, well, the doctor, he put some medicine and some sugar uh, in a sugar cube. And then he, he was able to swallow the medicine. And, and the writer knew right then and there that he had a hit song on his hands, right? So he said, uh, and, and the name of the song was A Spoonful of Sugar Helps the Medicine Go Down. Medicine, go down. Medicine, go down. <laughs> Y'all looking at me like, man, how does he, what's, what's going on with him now? I, I didn't really watch Mary Poppins. I'd heard it somewhere before. <laughs> so this, this metaphorically is, is what's meant when we try to effectively communicate a difficult message to other people. When we know the right way to go and we try to offer constructive criticism to someone in order to help them progress in life, um, but make an honest attempt to soften the blow. So this is kind of what that is. It's, we have something to say. It may not be easy to say, but uh, we should try to effectively communicate that difficult message. And how do we speak the truth of God's word in love? With all that's going on around us, with all of the anger and hatred that we have to experience in this world, how do we as the people of God, as God's children, teach and help others to understand God's will for our lives? What is the solution for us as Christians now, when we get angry at the world and at other people because of what might happen against us, but are still supposed to help and instruct and encourage others in God's words? How do we maintain our effectiveness in being servants of God, when we as the people of God are forced to swallow a bitter, bitter pill every once in a while? How do we successfully make that happen? So in, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass and clanging cymbals. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but not have love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endure all things. Love never fails. But whether there is prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. 
I will be speaking today from a message called Speak the Truth, but Sweeten It with Love. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day and just another opportunity to hear from you, Lord. And we just give you glory and honor. We just ask that you just help us to receive what you would have for us to hear today. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Speak the truth, but sweeten it with love. This is a message that we today might say, speak the truth, but sweeten it with even the right tone. You know, we always, as the people of God, want to present God's word with an unaltered, unadulterated, 100% pure truth. However, there's a saying that goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You believe that? Sometimes you can know everything, but if people, if you're trying to instruct someone and they just don't think that you care, sometimes it just adds a level of difficulty. But you know, do you actually care about people uh, or are you simply just trying to be heard? Do you care about people or do you just like winning the argument? Do you care about people or do you just want people to know how much you know? Speaking the truth is the right thing to do. But who cares about how much you know about God or the Bible if the recipient of your message turns the channel because you're talking at them instead of to them? I remember several years ago regretting not intervening in a conversation I heard um, at a gas station um, convenience store. And I, I usually, I'm usually not a person who would just dip in or dip or interfere into uh, someone else's conversation, but I was disturbed because there was this young man behind the counter, and he was trying to do his job and uh, waiting on customers, and there was this other older man who assumed, I assume was trying to, to witness to him. And the older man kept asking him about going to church and about being a Christian and about why he didn't want to come to his church and how much he needed to go because if he didn't, he was going to hell. And, you know, he went on and on and on and on. And, and this young man was trying to be nice, but I could see the stress on his face. You know, not because he felt convicted by this man uh, and what, the, what he was saying, but because while he was trying to earn a living, he had this mean-looking bitter acting, abrasive talking man bothering him while he was trying to work. And from what I saw, you know, there was nothing about this person that, that would make even me as a Christian want to visit his church. You know, if, if, if the people at his church was anything like him, I, I would, wouldn't want anything to do with any one of them either. And so, you know, I just kind of think back and I regret it not saying something to this older man and I regret it not helping him understand how he was, uh, how he was saying, you know, what he was saying was not helpful. You know, that if he was doing anything, he was diminishing the effectiveness of God's word and causing more damage than not. And, and I, I tell him that his mean demeanor and, and harsh tone was repelling this young man from Christ versus drawing him to Christ. And, and I would have helped him understand that it's okay to speak the truth, but speak according to God's word and, and try our best to sweeten that truth with God's love. It's not about us. It's not about our ego. It's not about people understanding how smart you are or how much you know about the Bible. It's, not, it's about showing God's love 
to others so that we can effectively be what our Father wants us to be and to do our part in growing God's kingdom. How do we do that? And let's just take a closer look at the Bible and see what it says. And and in order to set up uh, chapter 13, it's important to take a quick look back at chapter 12 so that we can get a better understanding of what Paul was trying to teach the Corinthian church. And the Corinthians, they were fascinated with the gifts of the Spirit, especially the act of speaking in tongues. But in general, they desired the gifts of the Spirit. And not only had Paul been teaching about gifts like being an apostle or being a teacher or tongues and interpretation of tongues and gifts of healing, I'm sure people also operated in these gifts as well. And sometimes the problem with this is that people tend to get puffed up because they feel like they are extra special because they have one gift compared to another. And, and, and we've seen it in our lifetime. We've, we will hear of a preacher somewhere in any town, USA, that touched somebody on the forehead, and that person uh, who was blind could now see again. And people are getting healed from a variety of things, and there would be an international movement to that one person. And people would be flocking to the city in droves to see what's going on. And they would be concerned, you know, they wouldn't be concerned about, you know, the pastors and the teachers and some of the people who were, you know, maybe just speaking in tongues, um, but, you know, they would go and they would want to see the healer instead. And the healer would be perceived as extra special. Uh, and, and he or she would, as a result, feel like, yeah, I have the best gift. I'm, I'm, I'm better than they are. And, and Paul was trying to set that mindset in order uh, and that God gives these spiritual gifts to various people in the body in order for the church body to be effective. You know, not everyone will have all the gifts and all the ministries, but the Holy Spirit gives as he wills through the life of the believer. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So God gives us spirit or gives us a gift, and it's just to help all of us. You know, and in, in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. It's not just one, but it's many of us working together. So Paul wanted them to understand that their desire for spiritual gifts was good and that they should covet the best gifts, but they should also understand that they are all a part of one body. And he asked the question, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, Um, but the Holy Spirit divides to each man severally as he wills of the gifts of the Spirit. So wherever you are in the body, that will determine what will be the best gifts to enable you to effectively minister to others. And Paul, he went on to say, I will show you a more excellent way. There's a better way than even having gifts of healing or being able to work miracles or to speak in tongues or whatever it is. He said, I will show you a better way than all of this. There's something even better and superior to these things, uh, and and there's a way for you to be more effective, and you should all desire this as well. 
And if they would add this to what they already had, then they could truly minister the way God wants them to. The same message goes for us today. No matter what gifts we have, don't um, realize we have or simply don't have. Um, If we would add to our lives this thing that Paul was uh, saying is superior to all gifts, we could be more effective in the work that God has for us. And so in 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. The King James translates, uh, tra- translation reads charity. Um, if you don't have charity, uh, you have become sounding brass and clanging cymbals, which uh, is translated from the Greek word uh, agape. And so the classical Greek did not have a translation for the word agape. They didn't understand this particular word. Agape was a word that was introduced in the New Testament. And in the classical Greek, they used love for other meanings. You know, the word eros was love in the physical and fleshly level. The word phileo was love in an emotional level. But the classic Greeks did not know of the agape, uh, the divine and giving and unconditional kind of love. But through the years, the word charity has changed in its meaning, and it changed into a word that means giving because someone is pressuring you to, to give to a charity or something, and it changed into a word that implies showing pity towards the poor instead of giving uh, that's being prompted by love. So in order to get a more accurate meaning, it's important today to just fall back uh, to using the word love instead of charity. And so however, even with the, the word love, we realize the limitations in, um, in our language, in our English language, when we say love. Love has various meanings to us as well. You know, I could use it to describe the deep feelings or emotions that I have towards my wife and kids, or I can use it to describe my feelings for red beans and rice from Popeye's. <laughs> the staff will be my witness. I've expressed my love in the past for red beans and rice from Popeye's. I just had it the other day when I was in Boise. Um, and, and I've expressed my love as well for their chicken and, and butter biscuits. So y'all know what I really like. <laughs> so, so the English language, as we try to translate from Latin or Greek, might all lead to the same word. The word eros is translated to love. Phileo is translated to love. Sturgio is translated to love. Agape is translated to love. But they all have different meanings. When I say that I love red beans and rice from Popeyes, that means I eros red beans and and rice. It's more a physical and fleshly type of love. When I I say I have great phileo for my wife, it's more of an emotional type of love. But the love that Paul is referring to here, agape, is a kind uh, of selfless love. It is that word that is used to describe God's attitude towards us. God so loved, he agape the world that he gave his only son. It is the word that is used to describe what our attitude should be towards each other, to love one another, the kind of love that gives selflessly. Paul was trying to help them understand that this type of love is superior to the gifts of the Spirit. If I, if I have the gifts of speaking in tongues, whether it be in the languages of men or of angels, a heavenly kind of language that is not understood by man 
if I have this kind of ability and gift, I don't have love, and if I don't have love, my speaking, what I say becomes totally, becomes totally and completely meaningless. Whether I have all these gifts, if I don't have love, any of that stuff, all of that stuff is meaningless. It is simply noise in which he describes as sounding brass and clanging cymbals. If the band hadn't started playing and you know, yet the drummer decided to start banging away at the cymbals and there's no music structure, no melody to a song added, it would just sound like noise, right? It would essentially lose its true purpose and become extremely annoying in a very short period of time. If, if we had a brass section, um, a brass instruments are like a trumpet and it starts uh, to just make a sound, not playing a song, not playing to the structure and melody of the music, but uh, makes a sound that only a brass instrument can make, over a very short period of time, it will become extremely aggravating, almost maddening, and essentially lose its purpose. Uh, it becomes meaningless. But in whatever you do in life for God, speak the truth, do the truth, be what God has called you to be, but sweeten it with love. So Paul goes on to describe the rest of the spiritual gifts, and he truly tries to drive home how important love is in anything and everything that we do. He tries to help them understand the importance uh, uh, to expressing and giving selfless and unconditional God kind of love towards others. And so in verse 2, it says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So I may have the gift of the word of knowledge. I may have the gift of prophecy. I might have deep spiritual insight, and I happen to understand those interesting and little nuances within the scriptures, the various secret messages that God is trying to give us. I might have faith to do the impossible and even perform miracles. But if I don't have love, it makes me nothing. It makes me nothing. That's what, what Paul was trying to tell us. Verse 3, he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love. It profits me nothing. Love is greater than your sacrifices to God. You, you can sell everything you have and give it to feed the poor. This is what Jesus asked the rich uh, young ruler to do, but he refused because he had a great deal. But even if he sold everything but didn't have love, this, you know, there is no profit. There is no gain. Now, Paul even went to an extreme example said, even if I lay my life down in dramatic martyrdom and allow myself to be burned to death, apart from love, there is no profit and no gain in God's economy. There were some early Christians who, who were so arrogant as to think that the blood of martyrdom would wash away any sin. You know, they were so proud about their ability to endure suffering for Jesus, that they thought it was the most important thing in our Christian life. And it's important, but not the most important. Sacrificing your money, your life, for the cause of Jesus 
Christ is important, but without love, it becomes useless and it becomes nothing. Paul here starts to lay out a description of what love is. And he lays out this list of qualities so that we can take a self-inventory of if we actually possess these qualities of love. You know, this is not a, a time for looking around at others. You know, this is an opportunity for us to look at ourselves in order to determine whether we possess love. If we, if we find that we're falling short, we can always do better. Amen? And, and, and that's, as long as we're still alive, we have an opportunity to do be- better. Paul goes on with this description in verse 4. He says, love suffers long and is kind. In Galatians 5.22, Paul proclaims that one of the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And, and he goes on to describe the components of that fruit of love. You know, one of the qualities that describes someone who has love is that they are long-suffering, or in other words, they're patient. Peter, when talking to Jesus about forgiveness, you know, touched on the subject of, of patience, but with a discussion about forgiveness. Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? And I think Peter might have been feeling pretty good about himself. And I was, I was, you know, was trying to show Jesus how long and patient he was and probably expected Jesus to, to tell him how spiritual he was since he would dare to forgive someone who committed the same sin against him seven times. And some theologians would argue that this discussion was not with regards to forgiving someone over a lifetime, but was a discussion about forgiving someone for the same thing in one day. So if you look at it that way, that actually increases my level of appreciation for Peter and his seven times forgiving someone for the same sin rule. You know, no need to keep track over a lifetime just that day. And so, however, Jesus said, Peter, 70, said 70 times 7, which equals 490 times. So if it's actually meant to be per day, that means if someone sins against you with the same sin, they could commit this sin against you every two minutes of your waking hours. <laughs> if, you, and, and if you factor in seven hours of sleep, so you, you would have to forgive them for that same sin every single time, but even if we're talking about over a lifetime, at some point, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll probably stop counting. And the point Jesus was trying to make, and he was just trying to make a point, um, was that forgiveness was not a matter of math, but a matter of possessing the spirit of love in your life. So, so after all of this abuse that you're getting from this same person over and over again, you know, when, when you're to the point that you feel like you can't take it anymore, agape love says, be kind. Can you be kind to this incredibly annoying person who's insisting on creating pain in your life? Now, the God kind of love says that you can do it. The God kind of love says you can do it. And, and, and in the end, before you get to 490 times, I guarantee you, you'll see a change in that person's life. You'll, you're, you're essentially giving God the opportunity to work in that person's life. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to move quickly through the rest, but 
up to this point, you know, Paul tries to, to help us understand what love is. You know, now he starts to pinpoint all the things that he knows we struggle with. You know, he, he, he now tries to make uh, us look at our humanness and identify the things that he knows we struggle with so that we can deal with them. And when Jesus gave up his, his heavenly and spirit body in exchange for a human outer shell, you know, I, I'm sure he immediately knew the difference between what it meant to live as a holy being and, and that of a sin-stained human being. We have to remember, Jesus was, he's, he's part of the Godhead. He's been ever since the beginning. He's known what it means to be holy. And when he put on our flesh, he knew immediately what it meant to not be, right? So if you ever saw the movie Men in Black, anybody seen Men in Black, at least the first one? It's kind of, um, you know, with Will Smith, an alien landed on Earth and, and some kind of alien bug, some kind of alien bug. And in order to, to masquerade as human, he put on what they called the Edgar suit. He put on the skin of a man who lived on this farm. And by the end of the movie, you could see how the skin started to degrade and wrinkle and probably start smelling. And Jesus, in, in a sense, put on an Edgar suit and was able to feel the results of sin that man created for himself, and he did all of that for us. And that's why we celebrate today. Man, in, in Galatians 5, 19 and 21, Paul helps us understand the works of the flesh versus the works of the Spirit. And uh, in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, he said, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, 21, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life would not inherit the kingdom of God. The drive that makes people want to do these things is a result of our sinful nature. Most people deal with at least one of these at, at some level. However, the idea is that if you embrace these behaviors and make the decision to live life wholeheartedly as a slave to these desires, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. However, because we are given God's spirit, when we accept him as our Savior, we uh, have what the Bible calls a comforter, a helper, that if we decide to submit to it, will lead us to living a life above our sinful human nature. It will only happen with God's help, but he has given us what we need in order to live by the Spirit. And Paul goes on to explain the works of the Spirit. Starting in verse 22, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. He produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And 23, gentleness, self-control. And he said, there is no law against these things. Amen. So through the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which he gives to everyone who accepts Christ in their hearts, we have everything we need to be successful in this life. We have everything we need to fight the urges of our flesh. Paul said that these two forces, the spirit 
and the flesh are constantly fighting against each other. So, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You know, they're, they're, they are constantly at war with each other. But God is greater. God is stronger. And, and, and if we give in to God's Spirit and submit to, to how God's Spirit is leading us in every situation, we are able to make the right choices. We are able to choose love, joy. We're able to choose peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our flesh doesn't want to do this. Now, this is why we choose uh, to be kind or to be at peace. And, and when we choose to do that, the world is confused. And, and in your mind, you know, you might be a little confused too, you know, because your flesh wants to choose to be hateful, to be racist or to be bigoted or to be divisive or to be quarrelsome or to create strife or to react with outbursts of anger when the going gets tough. That's why there's a war going on inside you. Your flesh doesn't want to be all those things that God has given you in, in the spirit once you accept him. So Paul, from here on, tries to help us understand what love is not, just in case anybody was wondering. He's like, just in case, let me make sure that they understand. And the rest of verse 4 says, love does not envy. It's not jealous of the things you have. With envy, there is no resentment without someone else, uh, when someone else is blessed. Uh, envy is, is what caused Cain to kill Abel. Envy is what caused Joseph to be enslaved. Envy is what put Jesus on the cross. And it goes on to say, love does not parade itself. It does not have to be the center of attention all the time. Now, there's a certain quietness to who you are. It's not puffed up. It's not arrogant or have the superiority attitude when, when I'm so great and I, I get to look down my nose on everyone else. There's no class distinction. You know, this word is rooted in pride. Love is not puffed up. And in five, it goes on, it says, uh, five does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Or in other words, uh, it helps you to, to not only look out for your own interests, but helps you look out for the interests of your brothers and sisters. Right? It helps you honor other people. Love is not provoked it, or, or makes you become irritated when, when those who are uh, with, with those folks who are just annoying. <laughs> but be, to be provoked isn't loving. You know, Moses was, was uh, kept from the promised land because he became provoked by the people of Israel. Moses was considered one of the most meek people on the planet at that time. God simply told him to, to with that, that time when he told him to speak to the rock uh, so it could provide water, um, uh, and, and the people would see God's provision happen uh, in, a, in a loving manner. But instead, he allowed people to aggravate him so much that he took his staff out, and he took it out of anger, and he struck the rock. And as a result of his actions, he did not receive God's promise. Love thinks no evil. Literally, this means love does not store up the memory of any wrong it has received. Love will put away the hurts of the past instead of clinging to them. Love will allow you to successfully just let it go. 
verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity. Instead of rejoicing in someone's iniquity, it allows you to want the best for each other. And it allows you to rejoice in the truth, no matter how difficult the truth happens to be. Love allows you to speak the truth as well as receive the truth, regardless of how bitter the medicine is. Here Paul ends on a good note with the last four things uh, love is. He said, love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. All things encompasses all things, right? When I, when I say all things, does that, you know, mean some things or does it mean all things? All things. It bears all things. Now, love will cover someone else's issues and errors. And love conquers one another's burdens until they get it right. Will you bear others' burdens? Love believes all things. In other words, we, should, we shouldn't be so quick to believe lies about people or to be so skeptical about, others, about other believers without reason or without facts. Now, love will make you want to believe the best in others unless they give you a reason not to. You know, if, if, you have that, if you have that reason, you know, then you have to apply forgiveness and patience um, and, you know, let that kick in. But will you believe the best in others? Love hopes all things. It's not pessimistic about everything and, and everybody. When someone is, is like this, they are working against God's love. But there's a genuine hope for a positive future for that person. Will you hope for the best in others? Thank you. <laughs> I heard that, yes. I appreciate it. Love endures all things. The greatness of agape love is it keeps on bearing, believing, and hoping. It doesn't give up. It destroys our enemies by turning them into our friends. Will, will you refuse to give up on others? You know, Spurgeon said, if your brethren are angry without a cause, be sorry for them, but do not let them conquer you by driving you into a bad temper. Stand fast in love. Endure not some things, but all things. For Christ's sake, uh, so you shall prove yourself to be a Christian indeed. You know, we finish the battle with perseverance. Uh, we must remain faithful to our resolve to love each other. No matter what the situation, it's not easy, but it's possible. It's not easy, but it is possible. God has given us uh, what we need in order to endure until the end of the race and to be all that he called us to be. And, and finally, in verse 8, it says, love never fails. No, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But when it's all said and done, when we are required to speak to and interact with each other as the body of Christ, remember, love never fails. Love conquers all. Love is the God kind of love that allows you to do the incredible and go further than we ever thought we could go. Speak the truth to each other as the body, as we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Speak the truth to each other, but don't be afraid to add a spoonful of sugar 
to sweeten it with love. This is the greatest message of Christ. As we celebrate his birth, one thing he said we should do, above all else, is love one another, which is the greatest commandment. If we can successfully do this, then we can live a blessed and effective life for the building of God's kingdom. Are you interested in doing that? Amen. Building God's kingdom is what he called us to do. In order to do that successfully, we have to love one another. Can we do that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for the birth of your son. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your word, Lord, the gospel, uh, that we might know salvation, Lord. We thank you for coming here where we were lost. When, when, when we, as people, sinned from the very beginning, you had a plan to redeem us. We should have been lost. Contractually, covenantly, you didn't have to save us. But you died on the cross. You came here, Lord. You taught us. You died. You rose again. And because of that, we have the opportunity to be saved. So, Lord, we just thank you. We again thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we give you all glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.